Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Hello. Hey, citizens. How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah? A little quiet, a little sleepy, huh? It's uh, really good to be with you. My name is Ben, if you're wondering who is this guy up there. Uh, my name is Ben Potloff. Um, I'm a pastor of NGC, but not this NGC. This is East Vancouver. We have another NGC in Camas Washougal, and uh, I'm the lead pastor over there. So uh, part of the NGC family, but spend most of my time over in Camas and Washougal. But I was invited by Will and Courtney to come out tonight and to, uh, to preach God's word to you. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, and so how about you grab a Bible and uh, open there uh, to uh, Romans chapter 3. Uh, we're continuing this series in Romans. And uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 9 through 20 uh, this evening. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, would you pray with me? And uh, let's ask God for his help tonight. Heavenly Father, we just quiet ourselves before you right now, asking that you would speak. Uh, We believe that you still speak today through your word, through the Bible, that when it's read and preached and proclaimed, that your Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who inspired it to be written down, speaks through it to us so that we can hear your voice. We can know the truth about you, about us, about this world that you've made, about the, what you're doing in this world, about the salvation that you've accomplished for us. And, and God, we are desperate to hear your voice tonight. You know exactly what our hearts need. And so God, would you help us just to to listen well, to have open hearts and open minds to what you have for us tonight? Would we be convicted if we need to be convicted? Would we be comforted if we need to be comforted? Help us tonight, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message tonight is The Bad News First. The bad news first. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, hey, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which do you want to hear first? Has anyone ever experienced that? Anyone ever said that to you? Now, uh, I want to take a little poll here. Um, If someone comes up and says that to you, uh, how many of you, by a show of hands, would prefer to hear the bad news first? Okay. Most of you, it looks like. All right, hands down. How many of you would prefer to hear the good news first? Okay, a few of you, a few of you. Now, that's interesting because that actually matches what uh, has been shown in studies about this. They've done studies, and the studies have shown that most people would prefer to receive bad news first before good news. And one study even showed that Uh, the people who received bad news first actually left the conversation in a better mood. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Because the bad news might depress you, but then it's followed up by some good news, and that might actually change the bad news and change how you're feeling about the entire situation. Now, I bring that up because uh, tonight, uh, in this passage of Scripture, uh, I'm going to be sharing with you some bad news. 
There's bad news and good news in Romans chapter 3, but tonight I have the fun job of sharing with you the bad news. I am the bearer of bad news tonight. It's pretty, pretty awesome that they gave me this passage to preach, right? And, you know, I would start with the good news, but the Apostle Paul in this section of Scripture, he actually starts with the bad news. And it's bad news, friends, that is so important for us to understand and to realize the reality and the truth of this bad news, because if we don't, we won't truly understand how good the good news actually is. In order for us to understand the good news that's in the Bible, that's in this passage of Scripture, we really have to understand the bad news first. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, this evening. And so let's read the Scripture uh, together, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. Uh, go ahead and follow along as I read out loud. This is the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is God's word. So what is this bad news, friends? Well, the first thing we see here is this. No one is good. Everyone is sinful. No human being is good. Everyone is sinful. As you guys have seen in the first couple chapters of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul here has been unpacking the sinfulness of both Gentiles and Jews. He's been explaining that Jews and non-Jews, therefore everybody, is sinful. And right before this, in our passage tonight, he says that the Jews did have an advantage over non-Jews in that in the time of the Old Testament, they had been given God's revelation. So the Old Testament scriptures, right, the first big chunk of our Bibles today, was a, a, a revelation that God had given specifically to the Jewish people. It was his word, his revelation to them. And so they knew the truth about what was right and what was wrong, what was sin and what wasn't sin. And so they had that advantage, but even though they had that advantage, they were just as sinful as those who did not have that revelation. Just because the Jews had the scriptures of the Old Testament, it didn't mean they were less sinful. It didn't mean they were any better off. That's what he says there in verse 9. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. 
For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And so what Paul is saying here, it's, it's summarized in that last part of verse 9 that everybody, all people, Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin. Under sin. No one is good. Everybody is sinful. Now that word there, under, is significant. It's significant when, when understanding what sin is. Paul is describing here sin not as just a minor character flaw. He's not describing sin as just the acknowledgement that nobody's perfect or that we as human beings, you know, sometimes we make mistakes. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying something far more serious than, yeah, we make a few mistakes now and then. No, the word under here shows that our sin problem is bondage. Bondage. It is a burden that we cannot free ourselves from. It is a burden that we carry because of our choices to rebel against God and to disobey God. It's a burden we carry that it's, it's our own fault that we carry it. But it's a burden that we can't get rid of. And if we're honest, we don't even really want to get rid of it because in our hearts, we actually love our sin. And we think our sin will make us happy. We are under sin. One scholar, John Stott, he says this about our passage. Paul appears almost to personify sin as a cruel tyrant who holds the human race imprisoned in guilt and under judgment. Sin is on top of us, weighs us down, and is a crushing burden. Is that how you understand sin? Do you understand what it is? It's not just, yeah, I've, I've told a few lies here and there. I've done a few wrong things. No, sin is a crushing burden that we are under, and there's nothing we can do to fix it. It, it makes me think of this, this giant black thing that you may have been wondering what this is. Will, if you want to come up here. Um, Will's a strapping young lad, right? Um, but Will, I have a little feat of strength I would like to challenge you with here. If you want to get down here in, in push-up position, um, and I have this, uh, this giant blob here, and I want you to imagine with me that this giant blob here is sin. Now, Will, you just, you just sit there for a second. And I'm going to just continue on with my message. So if this is sin on Will's back, Will, go ahead and, and try to give me a, a push-up here with that burden on your back. Don't hurt yourself. Can you get up with that on your back, Will? No. You can't. All right. I'm gonna, I don't want you to pass out. Here we go. Go ahead and get up. Let's give Will a round of applause. Good job, Will. Now, the purpose of that illustration was not for everyone to see how weak Will is, because he's not weak. That is very, very heavy. But the point of that illustration is that is what sin is. Sin is this burden that we carry around that we can't free ourselves from. We can't push and carry it on our own. It's something that weighs us down. That's what Paul is saying here. We are all under sin, enslaved, in bondage. 
And we carry that around with us as human beings. Paul goes on here in our passage to quote uh, a bunch of different Old Testament passages. Uh, We're going to see in these next verses, he quotes from Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Isaiah. And he's doing this to show uh, how universal and pervasive this problem of sin is for us as human beings. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Look at the repeated words here that Paul uses. None, no one, no one, no one, all, no one, not even one. It's not hard to understand what Paul is saying here about this sin problem. No one, not a single person is righteous. He'll go on to say something similar in verse 23 of this chapter when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the reality. Sin is the reality for every single human being who has ever lived. Look at what he goes on to say, verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. What Paul is saying here is that our sinfulness is shown in our words. This this sinfulness that's in our hearts, this burden that we carry, it's, it's revealed in how we speak. We use our words to deceive, to hurt. He says here that our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And we know this is true, right? I know you guys, especially as teenagers, know that this is true, that our words can do a lot of damage to other people, right? We sometimes think that words are just words, but words can actually hurt. Words can tear people down. You might have heard when you were in elementary school, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's just not true, We've all been hurt by other people's words, and we have all hurt other people with our words. We have deceived. We have lied. We've hurt people with our joking and with our sarcastic remarks and with our passive-aggressive comments, our half-truths, our cutting words, our gossip, our spreading of rumors. We do a lot of damage with our words because we are sinful. But that's not all. Look what he goes on to say. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. You see, our sinfulness is shown not only in our words, but in our actions. As human beings, we know we're sinful because we don't just hurt with our words, we hurt with our fists. We live in a world that's full of violence and people doing things to other people that are abusive and and violent. And why is that everywhere around the world? Because of sin. Because we are sinful. And then look at what he says in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Here's the bottom line. Here's the root issue of our sin problem. It's that as human beings, we do not fear God. We do not fear God. 
God is the creator of everything and everyone. And instead of acknowledging him as the creator and worshiping him and praising him and obeying him and loving him, what we do, what we've done as human beings is we've rejected him. This is actually what Paul says earlier in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is our problem, friends, as human beings. Why is the world so broken? Why are you so broken? Why am I so broken? Because we've rejected our Creator God. And instead of worshiping Him as God, we've made ourselves God. We've wanted to be in charge. We think we know what's best. We don't trust God. We don't trust his word. And the result of this is a world full, as Paul says here, of foolish, darkened people. Sinners. That's our world. That's the bad news that Paul is laying out here, not just for some people, but for all people. And and this is really important for us to understand and this, this, this talk about sin and what it is, because we live in a culture that doesn't agree with this, right? Maybe you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, and maybe you're even hearing this and saying, wow, this is really just, he's tearing us down and telling us how sinful and bad and evil we are. And, and, and our culture says, no, no, people deep down inherently are good. That's what our culture believes, that we're not sinful, we're not bad, we are at our deepest core, good. I mean, you see this everywhere. I remember years ago, I was in a Starbucks, and they had these coffee sleeves. Um, I think I have a picture of one. Uh, There's this coffee sleeve that was on, on my coffee, and it said this, know what sparks the light in you, then use that light to illuminate the world. And the person who said that was Oprah, I don't know if you guys know who Oprah is. You're, maybe that's not your generation, but uh, famous talk show host. And uh, she's kind of in her later years gone down this road of kind of being this religious, spiritual guru person. And on my coffee, I'm just trying to enjoy a hot cup of black coffee at Starbucks, and the sleeve is telling me, find the light in you and illuminate the world. What is that implying? It's saying the exact opposite thing of what Paul says here in the Bible. He says our foolish hearts are darkened. There's no light in our hearts. It's what the Bible says. We're dead because of sin. Because of sin. What's interesting about the world around us too, guys, is that our world knows this as well. So in one sense, our world says, hey, we're we're inherently good people. You know, no one's born evil or sinful. But then we see all of the, the evil and the, the, the sin around us. And so what do we say in the world? We say, well, yeah, but, but nobody's perfect. And so which one is it? Is it we're good people or nobody's perfect? Which one is it? And our world gets this. And so what we have to do is we have to explain it away by saying it's not that we are inherently bad, It's not that we are to blame, but 
It's because, you know, of low self-esteem or our genes or our upbringing or it's our parents' fault or it's our culture's fault or it's our lack of education or opportunities. It's our society's fault. And what our world wants to do is say, yeah, we're not perfect, but it's not our fault. It's everyone and everyone else's fault. It's not my fault. It's not because I'm a sinner and that's why I sin. It's because of these other reasons. But friends, that is not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that from birth we are sinful and we are to blame. No one is good. Everyone is sinful. Can you admit that this is true about you? You know it is. But just like Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, when they sinned against God, what, what we try to do is we try to hide it. We try to hide our brokenness. Do you remember what they did when they sinned? They, they hid in the garden from God. They realized they were naked and they tried to cover themselves up. They had shame. And that's what we do. We know that we're sinful, but we try to hide it. We try to put, put up this front that we have it all together and that we're not struggling But can you be honest with yourself tonight that you are sinful, that you do what's wrong, that you disobey God, that you don't trust him? You are a sinner, and I am a sinner. I'm a pastor, and I am a major sinner. And the reality is, is that God will hold us accountable for our sin. Look at verse 19 again. What does he say right after unpacking this? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Paul is saying that we are sinful and every mouth is stopped, meaning one day we will have to stand before God and we don't have any defense. There's nothing we can say to give excuses or to you know, blame someone else. We will all be held accountable to God for rejecting him as our creator and going our own way. This picture here that Paul is, is painting, it's a, a judicial or kind of a courtroom type image here. We're standing before God. We have nothing to say to argue or challenge our guilt. We've all sinned and we all deserve God's judgment for sin, which we know from scripture is death and hell. And hell is eternal separation from God, which is the worst thing imaginable because we were created to be with God forever. And our sin separates us from him. This is the bad news, friends. So the question is, how can you and I get right? Is there anything that we can do to fix our sin problem? Is there any way we can get free of this burden and the bondage to our sin and guilt? Is there any way, since we are all spiritually like Will was up here, is there any way we can push ourselves up and get this sin 
off of us, no longer be guilty before God? Well, friends, this is one of life's big questions. Because every human being knows that we don't always live as we should live. And so all human beings are trying to figure out how can we fix what's wrong with ourselves. And there's one answer that has been the most commonly believed all throughout human history within religion and outside of religion And it's this belief that we can do something in our own power and in our own strength to fix our sin problem. But look at what Paul says in our last verse here, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is our second point. No one can make themselves good by being good. You might think, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner, Ben. I, I know I've disobeyed God and I've, I've done what's wrong, but I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to citizens. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to try not to cuss. I'm not going to watch any bad things on on TikTok or Instagram. I'm going to be a good person, and then my good will outweigh the bad, and then God will accept me. And if that's what you think, read verse 20 again. Paul says, no human being will be made right with God by works of the law. Meaning there's nothing you can do for your good to outweigh your sin. And think about it. Even if from this day forward you lived an absolutely perfect sinless life, which is impossible, by the way, for any of us, even if that were the case, what about your life thus far? What about all that sin? It still has to be dealt with by God. And so Paul is saying here, no one can fix this problem of our sin by trying to be good. Now, our culture thinks differently, right? That we can be good. Even people who don't believe in God or the Bible or heaven, if you ask them, hey, you know, if there is a heaven after death, do you think you're going there? Most people say, well, you know, I've been a pretty good person, and so I think I'll I'll go there. And this is definitely what we see in the religions of the world, you know, there's a lot of thing, uh, uh, people out there will say something like this. You know, all religions are pretty much the same. Christianity is just kind of one of, of many different religions, and they're all equal in their, uh, you know, worth. But here's the thing that sets Christianity apart. Christianity says here, right in the Bible, we will not be made right by our works, but every other religion in the world says, if you do these works, if you obey this holy book, if you do all these things, then you will be accepted by God. If you follow certain rules and laws and holy orders, then you will merit the acceptance or justification of a deity. Every other religion in the world says that you can earn your way to God. Yes, you're broken, but you can be good enough to earn your way back to God. But friends, to put it simply, this does not and will not ever work. 
Every human being has been created by the one true God and is accountable to him and his word, his law. And as we've already seen, we all fall short of that. The standard to be made right with God is not pretty good. It's not mostly good. It's perfection. It's God himself. And if that's the standard, we all fall way short of that standard. Think about it like this. Um, any track and field fans out there, or any of you run track or field? Anybody? Anybody? No? A few? Yeah? So long jump, okay? You guys know what long jump is? You run down the track, there's a big pit of sand, and you jump as far as you can. The person who jumps the farthest wins. Well, the world record long jump was set by a guy named Mike Powell in 1991, and he jumped 29 feet, four and one quarter inches. And there's his picture on Sports Illustrated. World record still stands today, nearly 30 feet. No one's ever beat it. Now imagine with me that you and Mike Powell are hanging out, and you decide to go to the Grand Canyon. And you go to the point in the Grand Canyon that's the shortest width across, the Marble Canyon, 600 feet. It's the shortest width across of the Grand Canyon, 600 feet. And imagine that you get up there, and you're thinking, oh yeah, well, I kind of, I run track, I'm kind of an athlete, right? Like, I watch the Olympics on TV, so... I think I can do this. And some of you would run, and like one foot before the edge, you'd trip, and you would just roll off the edge, right, down into the canyon. Let's be honest. We're not all athletes, okay? Some would think, oh, I'm a pretty good athlete, right? And you'd go, and you'd give your best try, and you have perfect form, and you get like 15 feet, and then you'd fall to the bottom of the canyon. And then Mike Powell shows up, world record holder, nearly 30 feet, and he's got his spikes and his USA uniform on, and he runs, and he jumps, and he actually breaks his own world record, 30 feet. And what would happen? He'd fall to the bottom and be done. Now, it didn't matter that one person tripped and rolled off the edge. One person got 15 feet, and then Mike Powell broke his own record and got 30 feet. The standard was 600 feet, and none of them got even close. And it really doesn't matter who got the closest because they all ended up in the same spot, at the bottom of the canyon, dead. And friends, when it comes to our sin and being accepted by God, his standard to be accepted is himself, which is perfect holiness. No sin, no unrighteousness, no evil at all. And so if you're thinking, well, yeah, I could be a good enough person to earn my way to God, maybe you do a lot of good things. Maybe you are the Mike Powell of being a Christian. But if that's what you're counting on, to be accepted and made right with God, it's like trying to jump across the Grand Canyon with a world record. It's never going to be enough. You can't be good enough to fix your sin problem. No one can make themselves good by being good. If you're not a Christian, are you ready to admit this? Are you ready to admit that not only are you a sinner, but there's nothing in your own power that you can do about it? 
Maybe you are a Christian and you believe that you're saved by God's grace and not by good works, but you've fallen into a life and belief that you have to work hard to be good enough for God to love you and accept you. Maybe you think, yeah, I prayed a prayer and I accepted Jesus and I'm a Christian, but now I got to work really hard because when I'm really good, God loves me, but then when I mess up, God doesn't accept me. And you've actually forgotten what Christianity is all about. The main thing that we see in this text, friends, is that everyone is a guilty sinner before God. Everyone is a guilty sinner before God. Now, I know at this point, you're probably hoping that they never invite me to speak at youth group ever again. You're thinking, I finally got my friend to come to youth group, and this guy's main idea is that you're a guilty sinner who deserves hell. I think you did a good job. Hey, thank you. But here's the thing, friends. We have to understand this reality for all of us of our sin because when you realize it, when you realize that this is truly bad news, that you are a sinner who deserves God's judgment and there's nothing you can do in your own power to fix it, once you realize that, you will then be right where you need to be to understand the glory and wonder of the good news. Because thankfully... Thankfully, Paul doesn't stop here. Now, I was only given till verse 20 for tonight, and so you're going to have to come back next week to hear more of what Paul says about the good news, because he does start with the bad news and get to the good news, but I can't leave without at least giving you the good news tonight as well. I'm sorry, it's, it's a spoiler alert. All right, we're going to jump ahead in the series, Okay. Because the bad news is really bad, but the good news is really good. And Paul writes in one of his other letters, Galatians 2.16, he says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There is a way to be made right with God and to fix your sin problem, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. The good news is that God the Son left heaven, took on humanity, Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that none of us could live, and then he died on the cross as a substitute for sinners like you and like me. And he did not stay dead, but then he rose victoriously from the grave three days later and says, anyone that will admit their sin and turn to him in faith, he will give them his perfect life credited to them, and he will take their sinful life and pay for it on the cross. You might be thinking, why would God do this? Why would Jesus, the perfect one, die for imperfect sinners like me? Well, the Bible says it's because he's a loving God and he's a gracious God and a compassionate God. And even though we deserve his judgment, he gives us his grace in Jesus. 
Have you trusted in Jesus? You see, Jesus is the best news ever when you realize the bad news we've talked about tonight. That everyone is a guilty sinner before God, but Jesus came to die in our place so that we could be saved from our sin, our guilt taken away and brought back into relationship with God forever. Friend, I would encourage you if if God is convicting your heart tonight of your sin, if you're a Christian or a non-Christian and you're, you're being convicted by your sin right now, that's something the Bible says the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of our sin. Don't leave here tonight without talking to a leader or a friend, asking for prayer, asking questions. Because I'll tell you this with certainty, you're not alone. You're not alone. One of the lies of the enemy, Satan, is that your sin is worse than everyone else's. No one is as bad and messed up as you. You are unforgivable. You are too far gone. That's a lie. We are all broken and sinful. And so we can support each other and confess our sin to one another and remind each other of the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I even thank you for revealing to us this bad news because it's the truth. We are sinners who are guilty before you and we need to know that so that we can also know the good news that you have done what is necessary to save us through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would convict every heart in this room of our sin, and then help us fix our eyes on Jesus who paid for our sin on the cross and offers us his perfect righteousness. God, we accept the reality of the bad news of our sin and we thank you and praise you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.